your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. We are back with Elijah. A couple of notes here. This, this occurs right after the great work that the Lord does in smashing the prophets of Baal and showing himself to be the true God by fire. Elijah prays and the rain comes and, and this follows right in the aftermath. Also, a, a couple pieces of geography. The first town that's mentioned is Beersheba, which is 100 miles south from where Carmel was, where, where Elijah uh, challenged Baal. And then the next place that is mentioned is Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And that is 200 miles south from Beersheba. So this story will cover 300 miles. And if you think about it, Someone who's going on foot, probably your max range is 25 miles a day, and that's, that's, that's moving quite a bit. So even, even um, if Elijah was walking in a straight line, doing nothing but walking, probably was about 12 days, and it actually seems like it was longer than that. Let us pray before we go to the passage, and then we will read straight through this story. Father, now would you fix our hearts and our minds on your word? We thank you for your apostles and prophets, whom is you've built the, the church, Jesus Christ being the foundation. And as we hear about this one saint who lived so long ago and how you cared for him, would we see your glory? Would you lift us up in our times of difficulty as well? And would you be honored? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story begins, verse 1 with the royal couple of Israel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my wife away, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces, the rocks, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is God's word. Well, have you been ever experienced a time when you have been so disappointed, so discouraged, that you just say, it's not worth it? I give up. I'm finished. I'm done. That's Elijah today. He went from a literal mountaintop experience at Carmel to, I want to die. Our passage takes us on a journey with Elijah. 300 miles where he comes face to face with God and his plan. And here's what we'll see, the point of the sermon today. Be faithful in disappointments. The Lord is at work. Be faithful in disappointments. The Lord is at work. Elijah is uh, disappointed, and you might say he's more than disappointed. He is dis- he's depressed, humanly speaking. And it's pretty understandable. Think about it. He went from that climactic showdown in Carmel where God answered by fire. The people shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God brings the rain, which is the sign of covenant blessings, back on Israel after it had been gone for three years. And you think about Elijah and just his physical state, the, the adrenaline, the emotion. He was bent on edge for days, pushing, striving, praying. God comes through in this climax. And all of a sudden, he's on his run. He's on the run for his life. <laughs> he didn't expect Jezebel's opposition. It wasn't what he thought. Right? What happens in our story? The rain comes. Ahab goes home. The people go home. Ahab tells Jezebel all that's happened. And she doesn't say, oh, I guess Yahweh is the real God. I should probably serve him. No, she, she threatens Elijah's life. The story is about Elijah, not Ahab and Jezebel. But you can see some of the, the, the marriage dynamics here. right? Jezebel was uh, a, a princess from the north, from, from Tyre, Sidon area. She was to worship Baal and is part of a political alliance. She married into the house of Israel, something God forbade. Um, but, but you can see that she's clearly in the driver's seat, at least has a good bit of uh, influence. Ahab seems very happy to be hands-off, at least when it comes to religion. He's actually quite bold when it comes to combat. But, you know, he didn't kill Elijah at Mount Carmel. He doesn't seem to care, or he, he just decided not to. But he goes back and tells his wife, and she wants to kill him, and he's not going to stop her. 
And when Elijah gets Jezebel's message, he flees south. And this marks, you can see, the beginning of Elijah's depression. As he goes a hundred miles south of Beersheba, he enters the southern kingdom of Judah, so he's outside of Jezebel's reach. And as he's walking at least a four-day journey, maybe longer, he has time to think over what has happened. And here's the crushing thing. It seems like God is lost. Right? Elijah challenged Baal and their prophets on his home ground, on his home turf. Advantage, all advantage Baal. God shows up. He won. But he doesn't answer all of Elijah's prayer. If you remember, you remember when, when Elijah cried out to the Lord in, in verse or chapter 18, he asks that the Lord would turn the hearts of the people back to him. Well, he certainly didn't turn the hearts of Jezebel. Right? Ahab told her what God has done, and she just doubled down in her opposition. But even more discouraging, the people don't seem to be changed much either. We don't know exactly what the people were doing, and maybe there was some support, which is why Ahab and Jezebel didn't kill Elijah right away. But doesn't seem to move the, whole, the needle all that much. The people are not demanding that the royal couple back down. In fact, at best, they are passive and apathetic. And when Elijah gets this death threat, he realizes that karma was not the big breakthrough that he hoped it would be. And that is crushing. And so you can see he's discouraged, he's disillusioned by what seems to be a defeat, even after God has done incredible things. And so when he gets off down to Beersheba, he goes a day off into the wilderness and he says, it is enough. I just want to die. I am no better than my father's Matthew Henry, when uh, commenting on what Elijah says, I am no better than my father's, he's just simply saying, Lord, I can't do better than those before me. I've suffered enough. I can't fight this unbelief. Just like those, I can't, I can't beat this. And you can see his, his disappointment and depression on a very large scale take away my life. When he meets the Lord on the mountain, he says, I, I alone am left. Now, people sometimes critique Elijah for his lack of faith here. He says, well, obviously there's a hundred prophets that are left, but he might be more accurate than we give him credit. He's saying, I'm the only one that was standing up in the gap. And yet you can see he is discouraged. He does have this bit of view that might be a bit melodramatic. He is looking in on himself, and he is just finished. The prayer warrior who has stopped rain and raised a boy from the dead and called down fire and no longer has the strength to stand and contend in battle and prayer, even though God is on his side. And you know what? I'm going to argue that I argue that this is normal. Does Elijah have a lack of faith here? Perhaps. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But discouragement and depression with letdown is part of being human. We get overwhelmed. That is part of our limitation. That's part of our of the brokenness and the sin in the world. You will reach a point where you have reached your limit and you've lost the will to go on anymore. Perhaps you have felt, maybe even feel today, like Elijah, it would be better if your life would just end. We're not going to do a deep dive into discouragement or depression today. Just to say that it is a real factor. And there's many things that involve spiritual, physical, 
emotional. It's very different for every person who experiences. And I will say it is not necessarily sinful in itself when you are depressed. Sometimes it's just a mark of being a finite creature. And how we need Jesus to come back. Well, some personal application here. It's, it's natural to be discouraged when you think that God isn't winning. Have you ever asked yourself, is it really worth it? Right? I keep fighting with this particular sin, and change is so slow. Should I give? I just, I just want to be done with this. It can be easy to be in a church where you are hurt by other people. You are trying to do the right thing. You are trying to love. People leave or they ask you to leave or, or they, they hurt you in a very cutting and unloving way. Maybe you pour your life into someone. You care for them. And at some point they want nothing to do with you. Or they walk away from the faith. And you can say in, in those instances, God, it looks like you are losing. Is it worth it? You can look at the way uh, our culture is going today, and, and it seems like in many ways it's walking away from, from God's will, and you might just want to say, I am done. This is scary. I don't want to be part of this. Can I just give up? Is it worth it? It is natural for us as human, limited people to be discouraged, to have those crashes from the highs to the lows. But you know, here Elijah shows us how to be imperfectly faithful. Even those times. There's a lot of people who give Elijah a really bad rap here for his running away, for the way that he talks. I want to I want to stand up for Elijah at this point. Um, commentators love to pile on about how he lacks faith and how he's one day riding high and the next day he's running scared when he really should be challenging Jezebel on her own turf. And they understand the Lord's question to Elijah at. At, Karma, or at, at Sinai, why are you here as a rebuke? Elijah, why did you run all this way when you should be acting as my prophet? And many commentators say what, what Elijah should have done when Jezebel sent that message is, is go to toe-to-toe and call down fire on any soldiers or force that would come to take him. Right? In fact, that's what he does in 2 Kings chapter 1 when the next king, King Ahaziah sends soldiers to take Elijah into custody he literally calls down fire on those forces but I think that's being too hard on Elijah and I'm, I'm following a commentary by uh, Dale Ralph Davis because actually Elijah was probably doing the right thing here first of all, Elijah did not receive any orders to stand and fight in 2 Kings, when he calls fire, the Lord tells him to do something which initiates this conflict. In this case, it seems like the Lord is silent, which is even more disturbing to Elijah. So he's on his own, and a humanly wise thing to do is to flee. And in fact, you can argue that he flees because he's concerned for the Lord's honor. If he truly wanted to die, he could just say, okay, here, take me, you know, that'll, that'll solve my problem. But death at Jezebel's hand would have been seen as a, a defeat for the Lord. Right? If she had killed the Lord's prophet, that would have seen as, as Yahweh being weak. And so Elijah retreats. And when the angel comes and gives him food, he doesn't rebuke Elijah, but rather it seems that he is encouraging him onward and expecting him to make this trip to Sinai. It's something the Lord approves of. 
And, and so it is at Sinai where you actually see Elijah showing his faithfulness. He is depressed. But why is Elijah depressed? He's depressed because he cares so much about God's glory. He's been fighting for his honor. He's been striving to uphold his covenant. And it seems like it's all being broken. And so when the Lord says, why are you upset? He says, it's it's because I've been jealous for you, Lord. Why? Because the people have broken your covenant. They've, they've torn down your altars where they're supposed to worship you. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one standing and it's not working. So does Elijah feel alone? Yes, he does. It's just fake weak. It may be weak. But you see, the core reason why he's alone and why it bothers him so much is that the Lord is ignored. That people have broken and thrown off their special relationship with him and just and left it in a heap, and they're actively hunting down their servants. That's what's concerning Elijah. That's what's driving him to despair. And it causes a moment of self-reflection for you and me. What concerns drive you? you know, all of us are disappointed, right? Disappointment is an is a, is a unmet expectation. Something we were looking forward to or something we were rejoicing in and it's broken or it falls short. What drives your disappointments? What feeds those concerns? It's natural to be disappointed about good things that when God closes the door. But at the heart of our grief should be the fact that we desire God's honor. And so you think about it, when you see disturbing changes in in our country and the way people think and and relate to God, our first thought should not be, oh no, you know, now we're in the minority, now I might be inconvenienced, now maybe maybe they'll come for me, now maybe I'll suffer some sort of persecution. But it should be more along the lines of God, our nation, our people, we're turning away from you. The, the heritage that we had in the beginning, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's fading, it's being lost. Or you could sing on a much smaller scale, and parents, your, your kids act out in public. Or you, your, your grown kids act in a way that you wish they wouldn't. Your concern should not be for how it makes you look, but for how it shows their heart and their relationship to the Lord. In whatever disappointments we have, our, our cry must be when we're in distress and despair. Father, hallowed be your name. Would your name be honored in this, Lord? Would your kingdom come? Certainly, we're not robots now. Um, Elijah is hurt, and you can, you can hear that. He's, he's almost despairing, and he does feel cut off and alone. Of course, our concerns for God's glory and who we are, they're going to mix together. But we have to make... God and who he is, our first concern. When you are faithful, you will see that the Lord is at work as well. You see, in in the middle of Israel's rejection, and in the middle of Elijah's dejection, the Lord's at work here. He cares for Elijah, and he continues his plan. I want you to see some of the unexpected ways that God cares for Elijah. Some of them are quite small. When you see Elijah go off to the wilderness to die, God cares for his physical needs. Really throughout this entire story, 
the last three or four years, God has been caring for Elijah. First, bread and meat from, from the ravens when he was in the brook. And, and, and then through the widow's household, after Elijah uh, allowed, uh, performed a miracle where her, her jars kept overflowing and didn't run out. And now as Elijah sleeps, wanting to die under the tr- a tree, the Lord himself makes Elijah a meal. Make some bread. It says the angel and then the angel of the Lord, which, which represents God. Right? And this, this angel comes and wakes him up. And, and Elijah eats and drinks and goes to sleep again. And, and then he does it again. And Elijah is revived before carrying on. Now you think about it. Food is not really what Elijah wants in this situation. What Elijah wants is for the Lord to act decisively. He wanted that knockout punch uh, against evil and idolatry at Carmel. And when he didn't, he, 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 get it, he broke down. The Lord doesn't give Elijah what he wants, but here he does give him exactly what he needs. It's, it's not a knockout punch to evil, but provisions for the next step on the journey. Now, there will be many times when you want to see the big picture. You will want to know the end from the beginning. You will want to know that all the hard work and the pain that you are going through has some meaning. Usually God doesn't give you that, does he? But he will give you what you need for the next step. Those small mercies. could be an encouragement from a brother or sister. You could be struggling with finances and $100 shows up in the mail. You read exactly what you need for that day in his word. The Lord graciously gives Elijah the the tender physical care he needs. And we should not discount that. I I will say here too that he cares for Elijah physically. Elijah is depressed and discouraged. And sometimes we need physical care. Sometimes you need to sleep. Sometimes your mind is so stressed that the chemical imbalance is open. Sometimes you need medicine to help you bring it back into order. There is nothing wrong, there's nothing unspiritual about physical remedies and mercies. But we shouldn't discount them. We should make a point to the Lord to thank Him for them. Elizabeth and I are you know, a little bit low on energy right now. We just have a, a few or three things in our house that, that keep us busy. And uh, this morning, as we were just getting ready to go, um, Tommy and Rachel have their special onesies. In fact, if you go over and see them, they say snowflake on them. It's a snowflake because they're number 723 and 724, uh, the children that are born through the, the Nightlights and Snowflake adoption program. And so this morning, we, we took pictures of them in their crib with the, their numbers on the back. It's almost like a jersey and in the front. And it was such a special little time. And I, I just thought, in the midst of the fatigue, I just... I wanted to thank the Lord for that, that little grace, that little bit of goodness that he gave to us and to remember how he cares for us. The Lord cares for Elijah in small ways, but also in big ways. He is approachable in his glory. He shows Elijah his glory, but he makes him approachable. After Elijah's first answer at Mount Sinai, why are you here? The Lord appears to Elijah in all of his glory, but it's not what you would think. And it's, it's a little different from the first time in Sinai where, where the Lord uh, approached Israel. 
He passes by and he shows his glory with the presence. It's a powerful wind. It's, it's a great fire. It's a shattering earthquake. But, but the text is quick to point that the Lord was not in any of those things. And, and that's significant because the false god Baal was thought to be the god of the storm and, and really was the storm in some ways. That, who he was is what he did. Our son Sammy is super scared of thunderstorms right now. Whenever he prays, he starts with, Dear Jesus, please know thunderstorms. Right? Well, the ancient people were, were scared of that too. They thought the gods were the forces of nature. Now, the Lord brings these signs. He says, No, I control all these things. I'm glorious and greater than these things. These cry out to my greatness, but I am not these things. I am more than these things. And how does he ultimately appear to Elijah after his glory passes over, rolls over? Elijah is forced to hide back in the cave like I am kind of now sequestered from the wind. He comes to Elijah in a low whisper, a small tone. Elijah covers his face out of reverence, but he's able to step into the Lord's presence and communicate with him. Now, now, what does this exactly mean? In a, a passage, it's a story that's not explicit. It's hard to know. But I think there's a couple things we can learn from this, that God reveals himself this way. First, God does care for Elijah, both by, by showing him that glory. And, and we do need that big picture of God when we are depressed and crushed. We need to see how powerful our God is and remember his, the fact that he controls the end from the beginning. And yet he does it in a way that invites Elijah to come out without being crushed, without being destroyed. He can, he can stop and, and step into the presence of the Lord with no fear, but approach him. I also believe that this whisper may indicate the mystery of God's work, what God is doing here. It is surprising. Elijah was shocked that that. That gigantic blow at Carmel did not finish off evil. But God, in this soft way, is saying, I'm, I'm not going to deal with this death blow. I'm, I'm going to work slowly. One commentator put it this way. Elijah wanted full judgment. He wanted it all to be over. And he wanted you know, to come to Mount Sinai and have the Lord be this warrior that would come out and rush and execute judgment. And the Lord shows him his strength. But then he appears as one who is quiet. It may indicate that the Lord had different plans. It is very tempting, isn't it, for us just to want something that's a quick fix. You know, have this program. There's going to be a movie that will come out, and people will watch it, and there'll be mass conversions across our country. Right? We, if we can just do this or do that, the Lord's going to bring it through, and it's all going to come. This will change everything. But what the Lord often does is is slow, is unexpected. We need to pay attention to the low whisper of God in his word. As the spirit works it out in your life, often Christ does not come through mass multimedia, but from person to person as we are discipled and discipled, that's where the real change occurs. And I think a challenge for us now in our rapidly changing country where not only culture but also morality is changing very quickly, values are changing, is not to gear towards the flashy, but but rather the slow, steady whisper of God's word and how he works. 
At the same time, though, God does tell Elijah that he is working and will be working. He agrees of what Elijah says, that Israel has effectively abandoned him. Another reason why I think uh, the Lord is not chiding Elijah here. He says, you are right, Elijah. In fact, I am going to be bringing judgment. I am going to be starting what will become the exile. But Elijah, you're not alone. Go back and anoint Elisha. He will be, you will mentor him and he will take your place. You will disciple him. And he says, and there is a remnant who has done the very thing that you're concerned. They have not bowed their knee to Baal. They have not given their hearts over. He says 7,000 in Israel. Now, that's a small but sizable number. It's probably also symbolic. Seven is the perfect number and, and ten three times a perfect cube. But there is, there is a number bigger than you would think that has not forsaken me. What God promises that although there, there will be judgments, there is a remnant. And, and wherever we are, you will always find yourself in disappointment being able to look to the family of Christ. You might be small. There is a brother or sister on whom you can call. You are not alone. Even if you feel very alone today, God says to Elijah, and to you, take heart. I am working. You may not see it. It may not be flashy. It may not be impressive. But it is final. It is eternal. And so be faithful in disappointment. Because the Lord is at work. We'll be celebrating the supper today. And I'd like to take a few moments and just talk about how this passage looks forward to the Lord's Supper. Looking back from the cross, I think some of the mysteries of this passage have become clearer. Why is it that God appeared as a silent whisperer and, and not a warrior? You know, why didn't the Lord destroy evil for good at Carmel? Why, why did he allow Baal to continue in the land? Well, perhaps part of it is because he wasn't ready to finish evil. He had prepared another time for the decisive blow. He had planned to come as the word in the flesh, much like the whisperer. The true God decided to come in person, not as a warrior, but as a sacrifice to deal with evil. Elijah would see with Moses this in action. Right? You remember they both appear with Jesus on the mountain, the day where his glory shone out unfurled and uncontained and he was blinding in his glory. They got to testify to that. But then Elijah and Moses left and the disciples saw Jesus again in the flesh. And, and you see here how God works. Glorious, but a whisper. He, in his wisdom, decided not to destroy this world and, and evil with a fireball from on high, but would come as a gentle word and take the evil himself. Now Jesus is coming back to judge. And we might, like Elijah, must testify to this repent for the kingdom of his heaven is at hand. But for us, the mystery is gone. God has dealt with evil forever. Not on Mount Sinai, but on the hill called Calvary. Where Jesus died and bled for your sins and gave himself for you. And when we, as his people, come in the middle of disappointments, every Sunday we testify to his victory and we meet and proclaim his resurrection, we know, we see that God has worked on the cross and, and the grave. And he is working now. And this supper that we are about to take reminds you of the mysterious ways that God works in you.
rarely all at once. And just like the step or supper, one meal at a time, giving what you need for that day. Let us pray. Lord, would you meet us when we fall into depression, discouragement, despair? Would you give us exactly what we need for that day? Would we as the body of Jesus be able to be part of that gift to each other, encouraging each other on? Father, most of all, would you show us your glory that in itself, when we're depressed, it, it may not yank us out, but you are the anchor that keeps us from going away. You are the light at the end of the tunnel, which if we, if we grow to in faith, you promise healing and rejoicing. And so we give you praise for the God who you are, that you are at work. We eagerly await that in Jesus' name. Amen.